Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Powers on Sports Podcast. This is our New Year's Week edition. Hope everybody had a nice Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and whatever other holiday that you celebrate. Hope everybody had a great weekend. And obviously, have a we have New Year's New Year's Eve coming up here in just a couple of days. So please be safe out there. Don't do anything stupid and Think of your fellow man before you do something stupid, okay? But uh, we got a good episode for you this week. We have a we have, uh, we're gonna we have the obviously the college football playoff coming up. We've got bowl games. We got the NFL. We've got we've had some uh, unfortunate passings in the National Football League with John Madden. We've got a great guest. We have a longtime sports media member here in the Tampa Bay area, Joey Johnston. Joey was has been a writer for the Tampa Tribune. Was a, was a writer with the Tampa Tribune for over 30 years, has been a mainstay in the Tampa Bay media market, covered everything you can think of from football to golf to basketball to baseball. Joey is a Hall of Fame voter in Major League Baseball. So I'll uh, ask him, I've got a question or two about that facet. But uh, Joey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jason. It's great to be with you. Great to talk to a former Leto Falcon, soccer <laughs> great. So, uh, uh, Glad, always glad to share some information with somebody who's uh, had a lot to do with prep sports around here. So great, great to be with you. I'll start. We'll start there. So you, you joined the Tribune in 1981, right out of the University of South Florida. And I know you've covered a lot of prep sports in your day. Talk to us about, yeah. you know, covering prep sports and how cool that is as a, as a young reporter. And even as a experienced reporter doing that kind of stuff, being different places on I don't know, whether it's a Friday night football or a Tuesday night at Plato covering a soccer match or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would, I would say when I was a, a little kid uh, before I was in high school, I would, I, I followed high school sports and I, I looked at those guys as, as almost like superstars, like professional athletes. And uh, I knew all their names. I'd, I could tell you who played for who all over, all over Tampa so uh, I had a, a big interest in it. And obviously when I was in high school, played and, and watched and, and loved it then and had always followed it. And then I was at age 19, started writing for the Tampa Tribune and, and covering it. And, wow. and um, you know, it didn't take long. You know, I was interested. So I, I fell right into it and didn't matter the sport, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, softball, whatever. Uh, I, I was interested in it. And I, I, you know, you didn't have to explain the rivalries you didn't have to ex- explain what what it all meant because I already knew that kind of thing so I plugged right into it and got to and I wasn't that much older than some of these guys you yeah. know at, at that time uh really not not much older at all but uh met and, and covered a lot of great athletes who went on to to bigger and better things and and I get a real kick out of meeting a lot of them now who are maybe doctors lawyers professional people business owners moms dads yeah and I mean uh, 
you know, I've, I, I have had the experience of, of, um, of covering their kids too. Uh, that's where you really know you're getting older. And, and I, I'm, I probably, uh, have, I've covered a grandkid <laughs> at this point, uh, of, of, a, of an athlete back in the day. So it's been, it's been great. And even though I've been fortunate to do a lot of other things, I have always felt like that's, that's my base. That's my real love is what goes on in Tampa. So I still, you know, if there's a hot athlete, a, a big basketball player or football player out there, I make it a point to go see him. Cause I like to say, you know, that I saw that person uh, coming up when, when, you know, they go on to big, bigger, better things. I mean, to think about it, you probably have covering guys probably in the eighties, especially when you probably did that a lot in your early in your career, the Dwight Goodens, the Gary Sheffields of the world, all these hall of fame guys that have come out of the yeah. Tampa Bay area, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, you could probably put together a hell of a lineup of guys that have, that have been unbelievable professional athletes and, and icons over the yeah. years. Well, um, and you're right. I came along at, at I, I think I've had good timing in a lot of ways. A lot of the various things I've experienced in my career, I've come across some great people at the moment that I was covering that particular sport. But in the, in the early eighties, especially high school baseball was unbelievable here. Uh, and, and a few years ago, USA Today did a story on, on baseball players from Tampa and and somebody passed my name to the guy and he called me up and interviewed me and we were just chatting and i was saying yeah i remember being you know 21 year old kid covering uh you know uh there's there's a dwight gooden pitching to fred mcgriff yeah and then a little later on there's tino martinez and gary sheffield and luis gonzalez playing and and uh and he said man that must have been really really special that must have been remarkable to witness something like that and i go well it was but to be honest at the time it was it was Tuesday afternoon is what it was. It was a Tuesday afternoon in Tampa. It wasn't that unusual, to be honest with you. That was just what we did around here. And we, yeah, we knew Dwight Gooden was good. And we knew Fred McGriff was good. And, but, but, you know, they were part of a, of a lot of good players in, in Hillsborough County at that time, but it is remarkable to look back and say, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that Hillsborough Jefferson game, that was Gooden pitching McGriff. And those guys <laughs> both went on to have great big league careers. So and it hasn't stopped. I mean, we have all the way uh, to Pete Alonzo and, and the people of the new generation. It, it has been uh, remarkable. I think we're almost up to like 90 players uh, who have made the big leagues from, from Tampa slash Hillsborough County. And I know there's a bumper crop on the way beyond Pete Alonzo. So this is a, Kyle this is a cycle plant. I think that will continue. Yeah, Kyle Tucker from Plants yeah. blossoming and all right. I mean, just those kind of I mean, from football players like Mike Williams from Plant High School, who's now back coaching in the Tampa Bay area as a high school yeah. coach, number one draft pick, USC, all that stuff. And I mean, just the guys, like I said, the guys that have come out of this area and all these different sports is incredible. And uh, talk to us about the talk to the audience about again, back in back in the 80s, 90s, even early 2000s the newspaper was the place to get all that information. There wasn't nearly the internet access as there is now. The Tampa Tribune was a huge sports department. You were working with guys like Tom McEwen, Ira Kaufman, Nick Pugliese, Roy Cummings. You guys had a big department. You were able to cover and finance and resource these things and cover these things on a day-to-day -day basis for the community. Yeah, it was, you know, the kids of today have no idea what it was like um, back in my era. Uh, you know, if you were a reasonably good high school athlete the odds were were pretty strong that you were going to have a story written about you at some point and uh that was just the way the way it was the way it was uh you know it it was uh it 
was wall-to-wall coverage and you could pick up the newspaper and know exactly who was winning the games and what it all meant and who the stars of all the of the schools were and i think probably that that had to help uh you know the fan interest uh you know now uh it's it's difficult to keep up with it i know there's a lot of things on the internet but i I tell you, I, you know, I, I have to really look sometimes to know what's a big game in town and what, right. what who's the good player. Um, it, back in the days of the Tribune, it was all kind of laid out for you. So it was, it was definitely a golden era of, of high school coverage. And I know uh, the, the kids back then, I know they really enjoyed as did the parents, <laughs> that kind yeah. of coverage. Cause we don't quite, we don't quite get that these days. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember I was, I was a kid of the nineties as far as a high school kid. And I remember, we had a decent team. We weren't great, but every Saturday morning there would be a, a little write-up about our game. I mean, if it was a big game, you'd get three or four paragraphs, as a, but they would cover, you guys would cover every game and big papers around the country, not just Tampa, but big papers. That was a huge part of their readership was the moms and dads wanted to check the paper the next day to see their box scores and scores and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the funny thing is the, um, uh, going back, going back further than that, uh, there used to be an afternoon paper, the Tampa Times, that that folded because you know there there came a time when afternoon papers were kind of on the way out because of television and whatnot. Uh, but I remember growing up, the Tampa Times had a weekly little league section wow. where you play a little league game and you got written up. I mean, it, it was just it was <laughs> almost ridiculous how much coverage there was. But I know. I, I'm sure those kids and those parents have saved those articles. And, and I know uh, I've come across guys in later years, you know, that I covered and I would, uh, you know, meet them and, and they would tell me, oh, I, I still have my scrapbook. I still have all these articles. And that, that's really cool. You know, that something you wrote like that, that, that people save it and treasure it. That, that means a lot. I do too. I've got, my father's got a scrapbook of my, you know, high school career. And I'm sure you probably wrote one of those. I guarantee you, you probably wrote probably one of those write-ups yeah. about, you know, Friday night football or a soccer match or something. So you, you're absolutely right. I'm one of those kids too. So, <laughs> um, yeah. all right. So you start, you start to progress through your career. You start to, again, you're with the Tribune, but you get some bigger assignments. You start covering whether it's the Bucks, whether it's, uh, you know, Major League Baseball, things like that. How competitive, tell the audience again, you had some heavyweights that worked in your guys' sports department. How competitive was it amongst you guys? How cool was it when you guys would sit in the office on a whatever day of the week and divvy up who's going to cover what and, you know, the competitiveness of just being a writer in this market? Yeah, well, I think competitiveness was probably geared more toward uh, like the St. Pete Times or or whatever newspaper you were competing against. I think we, we, we probably had a little more camaraderie and uh, helped each other and more of a family feel. But I, I tell you, there was nothing like the old days uh, being with all the sports writers uh, and, and just the stories they would tell and the jokes they would tell. It was hilarious. It was a, it was a group of very entertaining people. In fact, um, I remember back in, in that era, we would, we would, when we would all be in the office, we would on a Friday, we would all go to Ybor City to Carmine's to have lunch. And sometimes the we'd have like 20 people at the table. It was ridiculous. And just the stories were flowing. It was hilarious. And our, and one one week, I remember one of the guys uh, knew a comedian who was in town performing that night. And he came to lunch with us, a, a, a professional comedian. And he's sitting at the table. And of course, he's telling his jokes and telling trying out his lines and 
and we're kind of <laughs> politely laughing. And at some point, somebody said, you know what? You're like the fifth funniest guy at this table. And that was that was how funny we thought we were. Uh, you know, we thought our stories were funnier than this guy. And he was a professional comedian. That's that's funny. That's funny. Um, talk to, to, you know, obviously the, the, the business of print media has really transitioned and to digital media here in the last handful of years, 10, 15 years. Talk to about that transition, just how that affects any writer, not just a sports guy, but just any writer, any, 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 you know, how the whole business of the, of the newspaper business has changed. Uh, it changed dramatically. And uh, you know, the internet, when it came, I remember um, this would be like in the mid to late nineties when, it, when the internet was just starting out and sport and sports and newspapers were putting all their stories up on the internet. And I remember somebody saying, okay, so like, all right, we had, we, we publish our story in the, in the print newspaper, we, you know, charge 25 cents, you know, you buy the newspaper, but we put it on the internet for free. Uh, how's that going to work? And, uh, and ultimately I think that that was a, a bad business model. When you think about it, it's like saying, Hey, uh, we'd like you to buy our Hershey's chocolate bar, but if you go over here, we'll give it to you for free. So I think the expectation was, was built that everybody expected their information for free and, and still do. I think most people, when they're, you know, looking, looking for sports information and, Oh, I'd like to look at this story. Oh, there's a paywall and people, ah, nah, nah, you know, they get all mad at that, that, that they can't be get behind the paywall. So I think the whole finances of, of providing information somewhere along the line just got, got thrown out. And then also the thing that drove the newspapers, the advertising and the classified right. advertising, when that right. collapsed, uh, the jig was kind of up because when, when you had a, a, uh, a lifestyle where if you wanted to put an ad in, you, you had to go to the newspaper, you wanted to sell your car, you took out a classified ad. Uh, that was, that was what you did. And newspapers could charge premium rates for that. And, and consequently the, the profit margins were very high for newspapers. So when that collapsed, uh, I don't know that newspapers knew exactly where to go and they still haven't recovered. So they're, they're trying desperately in a lot of cases to make digital uh, newspapers and digital news into into some profit but it, it, it's not nearly what it once was back in the days of print and it never will be so it's just it's it's an adaptation but but the old business model will never come back so um, you know and 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 there's so much information out there now provided by so many different sources that newspapers are sort of lost in the shuffle I mean certainly they have the the history and the authority for the most part but I, I don't know that the new generation identifies a newspaper as the big source on like the bucks. Right. They might look somewhere else for Twitter for bucks information. I mean, freaking Twitter. Yeah, back in my day, you looked at the Times and the Tribune. That was where you got your bucks information. Now it's like the Times is just as one of the voices, not the voice. Or you or you watch the channel the, the eleven o'clock news at eleven twenty to see the sports guy do his five minutes on the on the on the day's events, and that's where you'd hear about the bucks news and all that kind of stuff. If you right. missed. If you didn't get yeah. the newspaper, the the other thing that's really changed, and and you know, with the internet, it's all instant. You want to get, if you have a scoop or you have information, you you want to get it out there as soon as possible. That's very different than when I was in the middle of the newspaper. Uh, let's say you're you're covering the Bucks for the Tribune and competing against the Times and other papers, and let's say it's noon and you've just found out something. You you you're onto a story that you believe no one else has. Well. What you did then was you protected that story. You 
you got really quiet. You held, you carried it like a little baby and you, you bundled it up and you tried like heck to make sure that nobody was onto your source or onto your, your story. And, <laughs> and you sweated it out through the night. And then you woke up the next morning and, and that was when you knew, do I have it or not? Did they get it too? And yeah. And some days that walk down the driveway was was really thrilling, <laughs> and some days it was devastating because we all, all of us who are sports writers, we know what it's like to 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 beat other people on a story, and we certainly know what it's like to be beaten yeah. on a story. The good thing is you always had the next day you could turn it around, but to to be the guy that got beat, that was a bad day. That was a bad morning, but you <laughs> so you had to, you had to work like heck to kind of turn that around. Has this has this always been what you wanted to do? Be a sports writer, or are you are you? Is this what has been your passion of what you what you um, wanted to do when you were in college? Yeah, I mean, sports were always a passion. I followed them like crazy. I was one of those kids, maybe you were too, that you know knew all the stats, yeah. and everybody said, "How do you know that stuff?" And I was just I was just one of those kids that did, that knew it and and loved it. And um, and I, I liked to write, but I didn't really set out to be a writer. What happened was I was majoring in communications and thought maybe in broadcasting or advertising, or I wasn't really sure. But uh, while I was in college, found out the Tribune needed uh, somebody to help cover high school basketball. That was really how it started. I went out that night, covered a game and, and, and thought that was pretty cool and just kind of fell in love with being in a newsroom with all the quirky characters and just thought, yeah. oh, this is really cool. I'd like to do this. And it I just kind of grew on me. But it wasn't, I wasn't one of those 10 year old kids that said, I'm going to write for a newspaper. It just, it kind of happened by accident. Interesting. Cool. Give me, give me, give me a couple of events that were just great to cover fun events outside of your super, you know, Super Bowl, big World Series, kind of an off the radar, a couple of events that you really, really enjoyed covering. The best event I've ever covered is Wimbledon. Uh, I, I had a six year run as a tennis writer which was really weird because um, tennis was not a sport that I knew a lot about or really cared about growing up. I certainly would watch Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, knew the major players, but was not in, into the sport to, to that degree. But they assigned it to me, and I, I, I tried to learn it as fast as I could. But it came, I came along at a time when the, the Tribune had money to spend, so I went to Wimbledon three straight summers, wow. went to the U.S. Open a bunch of times, which is, you know, unheard like of now. trip to London and a trip to New York every year. That's, that's pretty cool. And also <laughs> got to cover all the Florida tournaments. And I also came along at a time when um, a kid from Dade City named Jim Courier yes. became number one in the world. Yes. Uh, Jennifer Capriotti uh, trained in our backyard, as did Monica Sellis, as did Pete Sampras, as did Andre Agassi. Yes. So... To, the, to them, I was their reporter. I was their hometown guy. And they were my hometown athlete. So it was an absolute blast to be covering tennis at that time. But Wimbledon was, was a magical place, just a wonderful place to go. And the greatest part was because of the time change, you're over in Europe, uh, you could watch the first match to the last match. Uh, and then assess what you wanted to write and have lots of time to write it. You had literally all, you had gobs of time. The deadlines were wonderful. So um, that was an experience unlike any other. Um, you know, beyond that, I would say, uh, you know, of course, you know, covering Super Bowls in Tampa were, were very special. But I think any time I got to cover one of the local or state teams winning a championship was pretty cool, like the Bucks 
winning the Super Bowl, the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, and I yep. got to cover Florida, Florida State, and Miami winning national football Their titles. Day, got, to yeah. cover, got to cover every game of the tournaments when the University of Florida won back-to-back -back basketball championships, which we didn't think we'd see that ever happen in this state. So those were all special moments. And I would just, again, incredible timing just to be able to be there for all of that. So I think those are probably my buck, my big bucket list items that I was able to achieve. We'll be right back to the podcast in just a minute. Now a word from our sponsor, BetUS. Hey guys and girls with the college bowl games in full swing and the NFL playoffs fast approaching, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. As you may or may not know, BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades thriving, and most importantly, paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses available to you. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS. That is 1-800-MY-BETUS. You will receive 125% of a sign-up bonus by using the bonus code, promo code 125. Not 50, not 75, not 100, but 125%. They have re-up re and referral bonuses as well. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a ton of reasons. BetUS has all of your NBA, NHL games with team and player props and loads of NFL odds and plays. You can bet UFC matches, UFC props, PGA Tour golf, PGA Tour golf round matchups, and live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games and the race book has all of your favorite horse tracks from around the country. They have every bet type imaginable, and the BetUS mobile platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, and more importantly, you get paid. BetUS, and remember our promo code XXXX. BetUS, where the game begins. Thanks for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And now a word from our podcast sponsor, Titan Home Lending. For all of your home financing needs anywhere in the state of Florida, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, reach out to Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Titan Home Lending is based in Tampa, Florida. We can help you with FHA, conventional, renovation loans, jumbo loans, and virtually anything in between. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Well, you listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. We're talking to Joey Johnston, longtime sports media uh, writer in the Tampa Bay area. He's the president and CEO of Johnston Communications. He's again, he's covered it all from NFL to high school to everything in between. So um, one thing I want to do is I want to transition to we've lost a couple guys in the NFL world this week. John Madden and another reporter, Jeff Dickerson, up to cover the Chicago Bears. I know you have a very interesting John Madden story from when he first started his broadcasting career. And you may be able to help me with this. Was his first ever game in Tampa Stadium? Was that the first game he ever yes. covered? No, I thought uh, it was. Yes. Tell me about your uh, yeah, John Madden interaction. Well, th this uh, this was uh, this was not the game that I was involved with him, but he covered uh, the uh, Bucks Vikings game in 1979, and this was uh, for Buc longtime Bucks fans will remember this. This was the Bucks were 
this was the fourth year of the franchise and Doug yeah. Williams was in his second year as the quarterback and the Bucks were having a fantastic year. They were nine and three and they were leading the division and all they had to do was beat the Vikings and they were, they won the division. They were in the playoffs and it was a, a frantic, crazy game. The Bucks ended up losing 23, 22 and their extra point got blocked in the last few seconds. And, and then the Bucks would go on to lose their next two and they almost spun right out of the playoffs, but they ended up beating the chiefs to, to clinch. But that Bucks Vikings game was the first time Madden uh, called the game, but you know, he was, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, coach Madden, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try him out. And it was back then nobody had any concept that this was, this guy was going to be the greatest of all time. Right. So the next year um, I was, I was still in college at USF and I was, um, you know, one of those kids trying to break into sports. So I, I the, was working with the Bucks, and they would have me work at their games. And, and one week I would, uh, you know, work in the press box. One week I would uh, help the radio team or, or the TV crew. And it was always a different job. It, it was really fun. So this particular week, the Bucks were playing the Bears, as I recall. And um, so they assigned me to the CBS uh spotter statistician and it was uh gary bender and john yep. madden yeah, yep. john madden was not yet working with that summer all right so um and everything was done by hand i was scratching out these stats on little note cards and holding them up so coach madden could see them um and uh you know it was i just remember it was frantic i was writing something down on every play holding it up so he could look at it and but i i had a good game i was doing the right thing i had the good information and and uh you know he was he was, it was work, the flow was working really good. So I felt like, oh, okay, I'm doing a good job here. So we got done. And I, I don't know, there must have been a, a few hundred note cards all over the floor because, you know, and I'd hold them up and then I'd throw them on the floor. And it was just the place was littered with note cards. But anyway, <laughs> I felt good about what I'd done. And, and Coach Madden looked at me and he said, Young man, uh, thank you so much. You're the best statistician I've ever worked with. And he reached in his pocket and pulled out 20 bucks and gave it to me. I just thought, oh man, that's the greatest thing ever. I was awesome. looking at that twenty dollars like it was a piece of gold, and I went over to Rick Odiosa, who was the Bucks PR guy, who set me up, and I was, I guess, trying to impress him. I go, Rick, guess what? Coach Madden gave me twenty dollars. He said I'm the best statistician he ever worked with. And Rick looked at me and says, Oh yeah, that's really great. This is like his third game he's ever worked. Yeah, big, <laughs> big deal. But I, but I was still happy with it. I, I still. Uh, Still took a lot of pride in it, and um, oh, yeah. you know, you fast fast forward to Super Bowl forty three in Tampa, uh, the Steelers and Cardinals, a great great Super Bowl game, and uh, just by sheer coincidence, John Madden's working the game with Al Michaels, and it it turns out to be his last broadcast. Right. So you know, he was um, he was made available for interviews during that week, and I kind of waited, waited it out until he was done, walked out with him and it was just explaining, Hey, many years ago, you know, I was this kid, I was doing your stats and you gave me 20 bucks and you really made me feel good. And he was like, Oh, that's great kid. You know, that's so great. You know, uh, you know, that you're still working and as a sports writer. So it's kind of a cool moment to let him know that, you know, he did that's, a nice thing for a kid back then. And I never forgot it. That's awesome. That's, that's tremendous. Talk about talking and interviewing and developing relationships with different colorful figures in sports, you know, from the John Gruden's of the world to John Madden to everybody else in between the Lou Pinellas of the world that are from the, you know, talk about just how, when you develop that relationship, how much they'll provide you information or other times when they're just, whether it's off the field stuff, they'll just, they'll just be, be your, be your buddy. Like you're having a beer at the, at the bar. 
Yeah, well, a lot a lot of the guys you mentioned and the, the Tampa connection is so important. And and back when I started out, Tom McEwen was the sports editor and, and he had his his kind of his uh, rules or his his suggestions on how you're supposed to operate and, and really one of his big things was, hey, work that local angle and get to know your local athletes and, and maintain those relationships. So I certainly took that to heart. And, and um, it's amazing how you could be at a big time sporting event with national media everywhere. But if the guy is from Tampa, he really would always make time for the Tampa Tribune because of the relationships that we established. I know, uh, you know, when John Gruden, I, I'm, to be honest, I mostly covered his brother, Jay Gruden. He was the quarterback at Chamberlain. Yes. And uh, I wrote a lot of stories about him. And, and one thing I'll always remember, um, that, you know, they were really good football teams at Chamberlain and they got to the playoffs. And I wrote a big story on Jay Gruden. And I remember they ran it on the front page with a color photo, which was a big deal at the time. And I saw uh, Jay's parents during when when he's playing baseball and I, and they, they sought me out and said, Oh, thank you so much for that story. We loved it. We appreciate it. And I was, I was, ah, this is so, that's so cool. Cause you don't always get those kind of compliments. You get a lot of complaints, but you don't get (laughs) compliments. So I always remembered that. And then somewhere along the line, uh, you know, I maintained a relationship with the Gruden family and somewhere along the line, I was, you know, again, Jay was my, was my guy, you know, that I covered, but I, I met John and it was like, oh, here's Jay's brother, John. Hey, John, how's it going? What do you do? Oh, I'm trying to coach football. Oh, okay, that's cool. Good luck. And it was like, <laughs> and then all these years later, here he comes back as the Bucks coach. It's like, right. wow, that's Jay's brother. He's the Bucks coach. That's so crazy. So it's funny how, you know, John was the, was the unknown one for many years, at least to me. And then he becomes this larger than life uh, head coach. Incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Incredible. All right. So the Outback Bowl, it's bowl season here. We're about to be on New Year's Day, all the big bowl games. Obviously, Tampa is is in the bowl mix as well with the Outback Bowl, which used to be the Hall of Fame Bowl way back in the day when it moved. I think it moved from Birmingham to Tampa um, back in the mid-80s. 1986, I believe, was the first year of the Hall of Fame Bowl in Tampa. Then it turned into the Outback Bowl. Covering bowl games and all that. So I'm going to tell you a story. 1986, first ever bowl, Hall of Fame Bowl, Georgia, Boston College. My father was involved with the bowl committee. He would he would pick up the officials from the hotel and drive them to the game and then drive them back to the hotel after the game. Well, my dad got me a pass. I was probably 13 years old at the time. I was right in the corner, and you probably remember this. You were probably there. When they threw the game-winning fade in the corner of the end zone, that first ever game, I was literally yeah. three feet away from the receiver when he caught it. Oh, wow. And I got smashed yeah. in the in the pile up with all the Boston College guys. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do you, do you <laughs> have like a video a, of that moment? Like I that? do, actually. My oh, dad, that's great. My dad knew Charlie Tuggle, which you probably know from Channel 8 yeah. way back in the day. Yeah. He had a yeah. video of that. Yeah. I have a video of that clip somewhere, oh, 1986, cool. getting great. piled yeah. up in the, in the game-winning yeah. throw in the end zone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, you know, you may remember, you know, I believe that game was played on December 23rd, two days before Christmas. That sounds about right. It was at night and it was a tremendous rainstorm. Yes. You probably remember that. It was, it was, I mean, the heavens opened, it was awful weather, uh, lightning and, and huge rain. It held the crowd way down, but it was still a tremendously exciting game. 
And another thing that I remember, um, the the, uh, the halftime uh, performer was supposed to be James Brown. Wow. Uh, you know, the famous James Brown, I feel good. And um, <laughs> he never performed because I guess there was a fear of his equipment. He'd get electrocuted or something. So he, never, he didn't take the stage. So, um, you know, unfortunately, that Hall of Fame Bowl had a great opening act, but that he never got on the stage. Interesting. Now it's the obvious. Now it's the Outback, Outback Bowl you just came from. The Outback Bowl, an event tonight here in the Tampa Bay area. Just talk about what that bowl means to the Bay Area and how important that's been uh, to this area for the last, hell, it's been 35 years now. Um, yeah, yeah. This is game 36. Yeah. Uh, this is a, 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 this game has grown tremendously. I mean, it, it, it has the longest uh, title sponsor affiliation of any bowl. Outback came aboard, I think it was 1995, and, and has continuously been the, the sponsor of all these other bowls you see changing a lot with the with the sponsorships yep uh so outback has been very stable and and you know who in america doesn't know what outback steakhouse is so it's a, right. it's a brand that everybody knows and and likes uh and it know, started they, in tampa people don't realize it, it started, started in tampa, tampa on, on henderson boulevard I, 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 I ate at that restaurant yeah uh about two weeks after it opened yep um you know, the, 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 the format of the game, well, first of all, it was Hall of Fame Bowl, then it changed the Outback Bowl, but also uh, the affiliations of the, of, the, of the teams changed a bit for a while. They, they were taking ACC teams and right. they were taking independents and SEC. They were kind of all over the map. But at some point there, they, they locked in to the SEC and the Big Ten, and that turned right. out to be a great decision because everybody loves an SEC Big Ten Bowl game. It's mm -hmm. That's kind of a formula it doesn't miss. You see a lot of SEC Big Ten matchups, and that's a those two conferences really go at it, and um, that's a formula I think that served, served them well because you get, you know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, and then you get the Ohio States, Penn States, Michigans, uh, Iowa, you know, those are, those are pretty powerful brand names in college football and they, they are going to get two of those. And now it's interesting, I guess in a few years, shoot, we might have Oklahoma or Texas playing in the Outback right. Bowl, you know, right. in the new SEC. So it could right. be, it could be really wild, but, but, you know, it, it brings a lot of people into the community. They spend a lot of money. They get to enjoy our community. And I know there's a lot of attention placed on guys who go on to play in the pros or become first round picks or, uh, right. there's, ton of tom brady played in the game once upon a time i mean yeah. a lot of tremendous alumni but there's also a lot of people most of the people are guys that you know are just finishing up their college career this is like their biggest moment ever and they right. cherish playing the outback bowl you talk to them 10 20 years later it's yeah. one of the great memories of their life so that's something that's that's very special about this game and i know you know whoever the big time players are for arkansas penn state we'll see them in the pros but most of these guys are like, wow, remember that time we got to go to Tampa and have all that fun? And you right. know, it's gonna it's gonna be a huge, huge memory for all those guys. Give me give me an opinion on the game on the games, New Year's Eve, Alabama, Cincinnati, Georgia, Michigan. Uh I like Alabama, I like Michigan. Wow. Um, I like uh, uh I have a lot of respect for Cincinnati, but I he just can't go against Alabama when it when it matters in a game like this. And Cincinnati's never really been in a game like this. Right. Um I, I hope they can keep it to a good game. I could I could see Alabama dominating, but I hope yeah, so I could. Cincinnati's up to the task. Uh Georgia's had a great year. Their defense is tremendous, but I, I just don't trust their offense enough. I think I think it's gonna be a low scoring game and Michigan's gonna prevail. Alabama and Michigan's a pretty good matchup if that turns out for the national title. Those are two of the greatest names in college football history. 
uh, again, I, I got to go with Alabama. I mean, I, I think anytime you go against Alabama, you're taking a big risk. So it's not exactly brain surgery here to pick Alabama, but that's who I'm liking right now. All right. I'll get a couple more get you out of here. Give me, give me a projection on the Buccaneers moving forward. Obviously, injuries are a concern for them. You know, obviously, can you keep Tom Brady upright and all that stuff? How do you see the Buccaneers progressing in the playoffs? Well, as long as they have Tom Brady, it's tough to bet against them. I mean, that, that gives them a chance against anybody. Um, I don't currently like them being in the four seed. I think they'd need to get out of that four seed if they can, uh, yeah. because the way it's the way it's sitting now, that, that gives them gives them a home game, but it gives them the Cardinals or the Rams. I don't particularly like either one of those matchups for the Bucks. I think, uh, and there's two more games left in the season. A lot of things can happen. They can get up to the three or the two. Mm -hmm. I think if they can do that, that can become a more favorable matchup. The other part about being the four at this point, if you go to Lambeau, enough, you go to Lambeau. Yeah, if they beat they beat the Cardinals or the Rams, that means they go to Lambeau the next week uh, in the semifinals, and that that's a tough task right there. So you wanna you wanna make that the last game, not the not the semifinals. <laughs> right. uh, you know, so that could you know again, it's gonna be a tough road to hoe. I mean, we're talking about maybe going to Dallas and then to Green Bay. Uh, you're going to have to earn it. And, but again, they've got Tom Brady. So, I mean, I, I'll take my chances with Tom Brady, uh, no matter who you're playing when they get, when you get in the playoffs, this guy is the greatest of all time. His record in the playoffs is, is unparalleled. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it happen. I'm, I'm excited with the possibility of a home game. That'll be great. Uh, it's been since 2007, since the Bucks have uh, played a home game in the playoffs. And in fact, I'm trying to think in my head now, I believe, the, yeah, the, the last time they won a the last time they won a home playoff game was 2002. Right, uh, the super the first Super Bowl season. So it's right. been a long time since the fans have had a moment like that to enjoy. So that would be really cool. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, last thing. You're a Hall of Fame voter in Major League Baseball, correct? I am. Talk to the fans just about the process that you have to go through. It's a little trickier than the NFL, where the NFL puts a certain number of guys in every year, no matter what. Whereas that Hall of Fame, you have to you have to get a certain number of percentage of the votes and all that kind of stuff in order to qualify. So some years they might have three guys, some years they might have no guys qualify. How have you over the years kind of developed your your philosophy of voting, especially with during the steroid era? How have you as a voter kind of measured those variables? Well, first of all, the criteria on an individual basis is you can vote for up to 10 players. You can't go over 10. You can vote for zero. You can vote for one, two, three, but at 10, you have to stop at 10. I believe I voted for 10 every time out, and I think this is my ninth or 10th year of doing it. Uh, I have I have uh, been a believer in maximizing it and, and, and trying to pick the best 10. I know some guys pick one or two, or they, they're very selective. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of guys on this ballot that, that I think are legitimate Hall of Famers. And I, I stopped at 10 and I could have easily gone for a couple more. Uh, I have always voted for Bonds and Clemens. I will say that okay. uh, in the steroid thing. Um, and I understand why people would have a problem with that. But my rationale is uh, I, I can't legislate the morality here. And I also think these guys are, you can't write the history of baseball without them. And I also think what, what they've been accused of doing before that happened, they were certainly Hall of Fame players at that point. Um, so I, I just don't think you can have a Hall of Fame museum without the the guy who has the most home runs and without the guy that's won seven Cy Youngs. Um, 
I did vote for Alex Rodriguez. I did vote for Manny Ramirez. So I guess I'm pretty liberal in my uh, approach to the to the PED steroid guys. Uh, but I did th- vote th- for guys like th- Andrew Jones. What's your thought on Go Pete? Ro- what's your thought on Pete Rose? Well, here's the thing. Pete Rose was my favorite player when I was a kid because I was a Reds fan. I grew up in Tampa. The Reds trained at Lopez Field. I I would uh, I would imitate Pete Rose's batting stance when I played baseball. Uh, I idolized Pete Rose. I, of course, was very disappointed with with what's happened uh, to him uh, and, and the stance he's taken. But again, uh, the numbers are the numbers. Um, 42-56 are the hits. Again, it's very difficult to have a baseball museum without Pete Rose being in it. I would favor him being in the Hall of Fame. I would favor him being on the ballot. I hope if it's going to happen, it will happen in his lifetime. Right. Uh, I don't know that it will, though, because I don't know that there's any impetus to, to getting it done. So I, I my feeling is that Pete's going to die a, a disappointed, bitter man. And one day he will be in the Hall of Fame, but I'm, I'm afraid he won't live to see it. What do you think is going to happen with this lockout? I think, uh, first of all, nobody's going to care until the Super Bowl is over. Right. And then we'll start caring about baseball. Right. Uh, right. So, I, so consequently, I don't think anything's going to happen until then. I don't think, I don't think anything major is going to work until February. Uh, and again, we're going to be so tied up with college and pro football until, until then. And then when we get close to spring training and nothing's happening, then we'll start caring. Uh, I, do think, uh, I do think the season will start either on time or very close to it. There's just too many, too many rank and file players that need that, need that paycheck. Right. <laughs> and when push right. comes to shove, they're going to find a way to get it done. Uh, so I hope, I hope we can have a, a full baseball season and we won't, won't miss too much of it because uh, the Rays have certainly given us some great seasons here of late. And I hope they can continue with that. And uh, yeah, let's face it. If we get to April and there's no baseball, it's going to be rough. So I'm, I'm hoping we play baseball in April for sure. I gotcha. I gotcha. We'll, we'll, Joey, it's been a real pleasure. Tell everybody where they can find you online and, and social media wise. And, and uh, like I said, just brag, brag about yourself a little here. Well, uh, my, my website is joeyjohnstoncommunications.com. That's where I keep a lot of my stories. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at joeyjohnston813. If anybody wants to hit me up with uh, any comments or questions, uh, please, uh, please do. And uh, I also uh, can be uh, read on the USF website. I write a lot for USF and I also do broadcasting. I do men's basketball and, and, and I'm the sideline reporter for football. So I enjoy doing that as well. And, and I know uh, I was getting ready to do some games this weekend. Uh, they were both canceled by COVID uh, at USF and we're seeing a lot of that happen in basketball. So hopefully we won't be having another COVID crazy season in basketball, but we're, we're not off to a good start. So I, I hope we get that cleared up. Do you like do you like the direction Jeff Scott's taking the program? I I do. I mean, I I have to be realistic, and uh, most fans would say, look, at some point you have to win some games. So uh, you know, the first season was a wash. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, COVID, it was crazy, and and just one win. Uh, last year, they should have had more than two wins. Um, that was a that was a five or six win type of team. They could have gotten to a bowl game, but. They made too many mistakes in close games and they, you know, right down to the end of the UCF game where they uh, were right knocking on the door to, to win the game. Yeah, uh, I think the bottom line to me and Jeff Scott is addressing this is when you look back at the really good USF teams of a few years ago, you had a lot of NFL players on the field. And here are the last few years, they've had zero NFL players on that field. So right. they've 
it's really simple. They've got to upgrade the talent. They've got to recruit. They've got to keep more guys at home. They've got to get out and develop some players. And that's really, that's really the, the secret to it. And uh, I think they've got a good quarterback. I think they've got some, the start of some people around them. They've, they're having to rebuild the whole defense uh, right. through the transfer portal mostly. So we're, we're not going to exactly know what, what that's like till they take the field. But uh, by all accounts, they're getting some good players in here. But uh, hey, I'm realistic enough to know that year three, you need to start making a move toward a bowl game. So that's that's where they need to go next year. And the good thing is at least USF's made the financial commitment to do the things they need to do to try to be competitive. They're building, they're building a new facility, indoor facility, it looks like. They're, they've done some stuff with the athletic department and the football program itself and investing money. So I think they're on the right track for sure. Yeah, the indoor practice facility is going to be cra uh, crazy good. It's going to be modern. All the teams are going to get to use it. And then – uh, right after that, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of groundswell toward an on-campus right. stadium, which, uh, you know, Raymond James is great, but it's, but it's, uh, you know, it's not on campus. It's not part, it's not the college atmosphere. So I know when UCF built its stadium, yeah. that was a game changer for that program and has really helped, helped it grow. And I think the same thing will happen at USF uh, that, you know, I, I remember when USF men's basketball didn't have a, the Sundome years right, ago. Right. And when they built an on-campus Sundome, that was huge for that program. So I think the same thing would happen for football. Well, Joey, keep up the great work, man. I appreciate the time. Any big New Year's Eve plans? Just uh, kind of bunkering in watching football, really. Just trying to stay safe and, and yep. get off and go to the Outback Bowl on, on January 1st and hopefully have a great 2022. Well, Joe, like I said, Joe, I really appreciate the time. Excellent work. And again, Joey's covered it all over the years. So he's a great resource. If you're in the Tampa Bay area, definitely check out Joey, Joey's work online with working with USF and all the different outlets that he's with. So Joe, I appreciate the time and have a great new year. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. And I'll definitely start checking out your podcast. Good luck with it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Joey. We'll be right back. Check out my new podcast called the No Quarter Given Podcast, where myself and Peter Blake we give a historical analysis of all of the Buck opponents throughout the regular season. Week to week, every opponent that the Bucks will play this year, we will do a podcast on a historical overview of the rivalry between the Bucks and this week's opponent. So subscribe, rate, and review to the No Quarter Given podcast on all your podcast platforms. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to give you a couple picks heading into the weekend so you can... Start off 2022 in the positive ledger with your man, if that's what you choose to do. So here you go. College football playoff. I like Alabama minus the 13 and a half over Cincy. I just think too much defensive and offensive line strength there. I think too many uh, athletes for Alabama. I think they're going to win by probably 17 to 21 points. So I'll take Alabama minus 13 and a half. Georgia, Michigan. I think it's going to be a rugged kind of game. I think Georgia's going to find a way in the end to get it done. The seven and a half might be a little too rich for me. I would probably tease the game. I would tease Georgia down to one and a half is what I would do. Um, but uh, I think Georgia wins a, a, a close game to set up Alabama-Georgia in the championship. NFL, there's four or five games that have some major playoff implications. you got Arizona-Dallas, Miami-Tennessee, Rams-Ravens. Pittsburgh, Cleveland on Monday night, and Green Bay, Minnesota on Sunday night. 
couple things that I like. I do like the Steelers at home, plus the three. Monday night against Cleveland. I think this is kind of an Armageddon game for the Steelers. Sounds like Ben Roethlisberger has made the announcement oh so subtly that this will be his final year in Pittsburgh and probably going to retire. So I do like Pittsburgh at home, plus the three. Miami, Tennessee. I kind of like Tennessee minus a three and a half at home. I think A.J. Brown being back is going to be beneficial to, to the Tennessee Titans. I, you got Tannehill pl playing against the uh, his old team. I know Miami's on a big winning streak, but they've not had to play very many uh, top-flight quarterbacks and talents, talented offenses. I think Tennessee will get it done at home in Nashville on Sunday, so lay the three and a half with Tennessee. Rams-Ravens. Uh, doesn't look like Lamar Jackson's going to play. Looks like you're going to see Tyler Huntley again. Uh, I would loosely, loosely take the Ravens plus the points at home. Uh, and the last game is Green Bay, Minnesota. Green Bay, six and a half point favorite Sunday night. Uh, no Dalvin Cook. You're going to see Madison again. I think Minnesota keeps it close. I would take Minnesota plus the six and a half here. Um, I think Green Bay probably win the game, but it wouldn't shock me if Minnesota won the game. Minnesota did beat Green Bay earlier in the year in a high-scoring affair in Minneapolis, but I would take Minnesota plus the 6.5 in Lambeau on Sunday night. There you go. Enjoy it. Have a good weekend. Be careful over the New Year's holiday. Again, don't drink and drive, please. Be thinking of your fellow man. Take an Uber. Call a taxi if that's if you are in the mood to have a beverage, but do not drink and drive. And we will see you next time on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.